How many know Jesus as the Lion of Judah? Sometimes we only see Jesus as the Lamb, uh, and we think of a little lamb. He is a victorious Lamb of God. Amen? Does anybody agree with me this morning? On my birthday, you should be agreeing with me. Amen? Hey, as I've told several of you, it's just another day in the neighborhood. Amen? But... but I did say that last week. You, you wake up and you realize that you've got a whole lot less pages on the right side of your book of life than you do on the left, and uh, I'm kind of getting into that category. So, you know, I'm not ready to uh, admit to that yet, but Austin, you were taller than me, and you messed up my hair this morning. What's the deal? <laughs> I am so thankful for the gift of life that God has given me, the blessings that God has poured out into my life. How many are thankful for every day that you have? I think we should be, yes, to God. Well, today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Asking for a Friend. You know, we all have times in our lives where we have questions, but we don't want anyone else to know that we have questions, so we come across as, I'm just asking for a friend. They're the one that wants to know. They're the one that actually needs the help, not me. So in this series, we're going to try to answer some of the most common questions concerning our faith And really, the best way to do that is to look at it through the lens of Scripture. But today, we're going to look at a biggie. I call it a biggie because me as a pastor, I see people in a lot of different situations, good and bad, and a lot of times bad. I see people sometimes in their worst of times. And I get asked this question that we're going to look at today all the time, and it's, if God is so good, then why does He allow people to suffer? Think about that for a minute. If God is so good then why does he allow people to suffer? We've all thought that. Many of us probably have asked that question. And by the way, this isn't a sermon on marriage, okay? I'll just say that up front. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Some of you just now caught that. But I did hear someone say that love is one long, sweet dream, and marriage is the alarm clock. I'm just saying, (laughs) wake up call. Again, I'm joking. Husbands, stop looking at your wives. Wives, stop poking your husbands in the ribs. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. Most of you are doing a pretty good job. But seriously, it's the number one question people ask. Why would a good God allow suffering? I get it, because I've asked that same question myself before. So that's why today we're going to pay attention, particular attention to that question. And keep in mind this. Nobody whose name is not God can actually and accurately answer that question. But there are some ways that we can deal with that question through Scripture that will build us up instead of tear us down. And I'm going to do my best in the next 20 to 25 minutes to answer as much as I can concerning this question is why does a good God allow bad things to happen? But if I had all week, I couldn't do it justice. If I had all week, I couldn't uh, do it totally because I don't have all the answers. I know most of you think that, but I don't. I don't have all the answers and I don't even pretend to have all the answers. But I would guess that we can all look back over our lives and see times when uh, Things didn't work out like we planned. Anybody ever realize that yet, that things sometimes just don't work out like we planned? Because the big part is nobody plans on tragedy. How many realize that tragedy just shows up? Out of the blue, it happens. No warning. For instance, you might have planned on the wedding. Maybe you put a lot of time in the wedding. You didn't plan on the divorce. Uh, Nobody does. Uh, I've never performed a wedding for a couple that they say, well, I think we're going to love each other passionately for about four years, and then we're going to hate each other's guts, and then we're going to turn around and have an ugly divorce and an ugly 
a child custody battle. Nobody plans on that, but unfortunately, that has happened. Maybe you planned on having children. You didn't plan on the miscarriage, but it happened. You planned on spending the rest of your life with your spouse. You didn't plan on their death. And you never planned on attending your own child or your own grandchild's funeral. I'm only saying these things, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are a lot of tragedies in this world. So the big question is, what do we do when bad things happen to good people? When life doesn't go according to plan? Here's one thing that I know about every one of us, no matter who we are, how spiritual we are, no matter who we are, what we're dealing with, here's what I know. Every one of us has asked that question when certain things have happened, why? And to be more specific, we ask, why God? Why God did you allow this to happen? And the truth is, whenever you're at the point of asking those kind of questions, it's always going to be with a whole lot of pain in your heart when you're down to asking that kind of question. And I get it. Because like a whole bunch of you, and probably most of us in this room, we've all asked that questions ourselves. Why, God, did you allow that to happen? You know, like when I hear about a case of child abuse, or when I hear about a drunk driver wiping out an entire innocent family. And the question I get from a lot of church people and non-church people is, if God is so good, then why did he allow that to happen? If he's so good, why did he allow that tragedy to happen? You realize the truth is there are some things... In this life, we're never going to understand until we get to heaven. And I'll go further than that and say there are some things that we're never, ever going to understand, even when we get to heaven. The Bible actually says the secret things belong to the Lord. So what I'm trying to say is the the truth is it's impossible for us to understand uh, God in his entirety. It's impossible for us to understand what God does and doesn't do Because only God knows the whys and the wherefores of everyday life that we live. And who are we to think that us as finite beings can understand this infinite, amazing God that's bigger than than life, bigger than the universe? With our little minds, we can't even grasp God's limitless perspective. But I think God puts it in perspective in Isaiah 55, verse 8. Listen to what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God is saying there are going to be some times where he does some things and doesn't do some things, and we're not going to get it. We're not going to understand it because we're, he's God and we're not. We're not going to be able to comprehend it or understand it. So what do we do? And specifically, what does Scripture tell us to do concerning this God question we're looking at today? Well, I think if we'd study God's Word, we'll find that bad things do happen. But at the same time, God is still a good God. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first reason that bad things happen and God allows suffering, is that we are victims of a broken world. Have you found that out yet, that we live in a broken world? Maybe it's because we live in a sin-filled, sin-stained world every day. Paul says this in Romans 8.20. He's talking about when Adam and Eve sinned. He said, all creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by its bondage to decay. You realize when Adam and Eve were first created in their original state, Adam and Eve were created to be innocent, ageless, and immortal. They were were designed to live forever. But from the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them a freedom of choice. He gave them a freedom to choose right or choose wrong, and Adam made a choice, and his choice made him, you might say. You know, had man not sinned in the beginning, there would have never been this curse of sin on this world. But Scripture even proves now that it has happened. It's too late, so to speak. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 
when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race, just not part of it, not just his family, the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Have you realized that's why we have floods, earthquakes, droughts, tornadoes, hurricanes? And insurance companies, we know this, they declare these natural disasters as acts of God. I'm thinking, wait a minute, let's stop blaming God because these aren't acts of God. These are the actions of man and sin. These are the acts of sin and man. So the point I'm trying to stress this morning is that it's humanity, not God, that's responsible for sin. You and I were made a whole lot like Adam, amen? Prone to sin just like he was. But have you ever thought how much easier it might have been for God if he would have made human beings incapable of sinning? Think about that. Been a whole lot easier. He'd have had a whole lot of uh, less work to do and prayer requests to answer. Amen. If he would have made us inadequate or in incapable of, of sinning, that wouldn't have worked either, though, because all we would have been then was puppets on a string. All we would have then be would be mindless robots that were bowing down to him at the push uh, of a button. But the truth is, God wants people to love and obey him that want to love and obey him. God wants people to love and obey him that voluntarily make the choice to love uh, and obey him. Because really, love, when you get down to it, can't be really genuine if you have no other options. Amen? You can't be made to love someone or something. And you and I can choose to love God. What a privilege we have to be able to make that choice. And if we're realistic and we look at it for what it is, we ought to be making that choice today. And if you love him today, we ought to be making the choice to love him even more tomorrow. Amen? So why does God allow suffering? It's because we are victims of a broken world. We live in a broken world. If you're still taking notes, point number two. God allows suffering because God wants to do something bigger. We, not, we may not realize it at the time, but God wants to do something bigger or greater through our suffering. Maybe you're going through something today you don't understand. Maybe it's something that you had wished you, never happened in your life. And something that's hurting you deeply. Well, how about having a change of mindset today and think, well, wait a minute, God might be doing something with this. Maybe God can use this horrible time, this horrible season, this horrible suffering in my life to do something greater like he did in the story in John chapter 9 of the man who was born blind. I want you to put yourself, many of us have heard this story, put yourself in this guy's shoes for a minute. If you're in his shoes, you're probably asking the question, wait a minute, God, why did my brother, why was he born seeing? Why was my sister born seeing? And why am I the one that was born blind? It's just not fair. And if you know the story, all the people around Jesus and this man started asking questions. Actually, they started pointing figure, fingers and tried to cast blame. Whose fault was it? Who sinned? Was it this guy? Was it his parents? And Jesus straightens it out in a hurry. In verse 3, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened. That little phrase, this happened, is so important. In other words, this thing that he uh, didn't understand in his life, this thing that he didn't want in his life, this thing that had caused him incredible pain, this happened. So that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Did you hear that? He allowed this to happen from the time this guy was born so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Think about this. The moment he goes from being blind to seeing, all of a sudden he's got a testimony. All of a sudden he's got a story to tell. That's going to change lives forever. His story would have been, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but Jesus healed me. And everyone around him witnessed this healing. 
And Jesus was saying this thing that you didn't understand, this thing you didn't want for your life, this thing that was horrible and horribly painful in your life, God did something through it, supernatural through it, for His glory and for your good. So even if you're going through the hardest time in your life, don't give up and quit because God is doing something bigger and wants to do something greater with it. Uh, in fact, people like Christine Kane proved this out. She co-founded the A21 movement against human trafficking. She said one time she was over in East India at a conference and she went through the red light district over in uh, India. And as she was going through the streets, she noticed bars on the upper second story windows of, of these uh, businesses. And she thought, wait a minute, I can see why they would have bars on the first floor to keep the uh, criminals out at night from stealing from the stores, but why would they have bars on the second floor windows? Later she found out they had bars not to keep people from getting in, but to keep people from getting out. It, behind those bars were women and young girls that were being abused day and night uh, as sexual slaves. Day and night. It was so bad that these women, some of them had had children, they had to put their children under the beds or in the closets while they were being abused 24-7. Teen Kane found out about this and her heart broke to the cord. She says, hey, this is evil. This is horrible. Something needs to be done about this. And then all of a sudden, a voice within her said, hey, maybe you're the one. Maybe you're the one that needs to do something about this. So she did. She got on board and she gathered a group of people to help her. They co-founded A21 campaign that rescues and rehabilitates these women and young girls. But I'm going to say this. The only reason that happened is because Christine Kane had eyes to see and a heart to help. She had eyes to see and a heart to help. She could have forgot about that and gone on down the street, but she didn't. And she did something about it. Let me tell you, I believe when God shows us and reveals an injustice to us and he puts a burden on your heart, we ought to be doing something about it. Amen? Don't just let it slip by, but put it deep in your heart and do something about it. Make a move. My, my wife does, I don't know about you, rest of you guys out here, but my wife does something uh, that she calls picking up after me. I call it, I call it hiding my stuff, amen? <laughs> She'll say, well, why'd you leave it on a couch? I'd say, because that's, I know exactly where it's at that way, amen? I call it hiding uh, my stuff. Um, <laughs> I can never find anything when she puts it away. I just can't. And I aggravate my, the life out of my wife because I don't know about you guys, but I have a certain few clothes that I like to wear all the time. I call them my uniform. It might be three things, and as soon as she runs it through the washer, I got it back on. Yeah, I do change it up a little bit on Sundays, but during the week, man, she has to put up with some terrible stuff. Anyway, I've got this favorite green shirt, and I'm in the closet. She hates my green shirt, but I love my green shirt. I'm in the closet... She doesn't even know I'm in the closet. She's out in the kitchen. I say, hon, where's my green shirt? And I can feel it. This trimmer goes through the house. <laughs> she says, well, look in the closet. I said, I am looking in the closet. She didn't even think I was in the closet. I am looking in the closet. She said, look at the middle of the rack. It's right there where I hung it up about 10 minutes ago. And I said, it's not here. I'm standing in the closet. It's not here. And all of a sudden, I hear these footsteps. And you can tell they're not happy footsteps <laughs> coming through the house. She comes through the house, steps into the closet, kind of gives me an elbow. Excuse me. With one reach, she reaches up and picks it out. 
Here it is. Take it. And then she gives me the eye roll. Any of you guys ever seen that eye roll? Just tears you up. I love my green shirt. I could have been like Jim Millsap. Marlene didn't like his uh, shirt he was wearing all the time, so he went out and bought five of them just like it. Amen? <laughs> my whole point to saying all that was to say, even though I didn't see it, didn't mean it wasn't in there. Although Cheryl, I think, hid it from me. Amen? <laughs> Just because I couldn't see it or find it didn't mean it wasn't in there. And my point to saying that is sometimes through our struggles and through uh, our suffering, and we don't understand what's going on and we're looking for a reason and trying to find it, don't give up. Because I believe with all of my heart there is a reason for it, and I believe that reason could be that God is working out something so much bigger than He could do any way, other way. So much bigger that we don't even realize so god can use our suffering to do something greater point number three suffering can be used to prepare us some of you might have grown up in in places and other teachings where they taught if something's going bad in your life then it's because you've been bad or it's because you've done wrong because you've sinned and god was just punishing you well if that's the case what about shadrach meshach and abednego anybody remember them why did they wind up in the fiery furnace because they were doing exactly what God had told them to do. Sometimes we're going to experience tragedy. Sometimes we're going to experience bad things in our life because we are doing exactly what God has told us. So by you going through that doesn't mean that God is punishing you. I'll say God is preparing you. He's not punishing you. He's preparing you for something bigger, something greater. A lot of people say, well, if God is so good, then why am I going through so much pain? Well, I'll just say sometimes God uses pain to pull something out of you that if you didn't get out of you, would kill you. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had your appendix rupture. I haven't, but I hear that's very painful. And it's even more dangerous with all that poison in your system if you don't get that out. So think about this. If you don't know what's going on, and one day you walk into a room and there's a surgeon putting a scalpel in somebody opening them up and pulling something out of them, you might think, well, this is ridiculous. That's mean. That's hurtful. That's terrible. But that's, that surgeon would say, hey, if I don't cause a little bit of pain here and pull what's inside of them out, it's going to kill them. At the end of the day, what I'm saying is even through the pain, even through times that we don't understand the bigger plan, God is still good. And he allows pain in our life to actually prepare us for greater things. How about the story of Joseph? Remember that story in the Old Testament? This man went through hell on earth to complete the task that God called him to complete. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. He was pulled out. He was sold into slavery. He was sold and taken to a foreign land where he was falsely accused. He was put in prison. Then he was forgot about in prison. But through a weird series of events, God elevates Joseph to second in charge, second in command over all of Egypt. So think about this. Think about his story. All those years of hurting, all those years uh, of being falsely accused, thrown in prison, forgotten about in prison, um, was there for a reason. So that one day, God could do something bigger and save a whole lot of lives through what Joseph was going through. And when Joseph was finally reunited with his brothers, it amazes me, the character he shows, the patience, even the kindness, because I would imagine if our brothers had done that to us, 
we wouldn't have spoken like Joseph has spoken. I'd probably have to bleep out most of it this morning. Amen. But listen to this, what he says, Genesis 50, verse 19. Don't be afraid. He's telling this to his brothers. He says, am I in the place of God? In other words, he's saying, am I God, which he's not? You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So why did God allow that in the first place? Just like Joseph said, for the saving of many people, for the saving of many lives. I also think of the story of David. Remember when he was, I believe God was preparing him to go out and face this giant Goliath. And when he finally goes to King Saul and says, hey, I'll go out and fight this mountain of a man that none of the rest of your soldiers will, listen to what conversation he has with uh, Saul in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. He starts out saying, your servant, he's talking about himself, David, has been keeping his father's sheep. Well, that was his day job, okay? He's a 17-year-old shepherd boy that if he was on Facebook, he'd probably post, I'm just hanging with the sheep, amen? But he goes on and he says this. He says, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. Let me stop here because for a 17-year-old boy that's tending his father's sheep to have a lion and a bear come and take some of the sheep, that's a tragedy. But think about the options David had. He could have gotten angry with God, said, why God? He could have cried out and got angry and said, God, why'd you allow this to happen? Why'd you allow this to happen to me? I'm God, I'm not a good shepherd. Dad won't think I'm a good shepherd. David could have cried and complained and allowed his tragedy to define him. Do you realize that? Just like a lot of us do as Christians that say we're following Christ, but we're allowing our tragedies every day in life to define who we are. You know, tragedies are real. Sad to say they're real and they happen every day in our life. They're painful. They hurt. There's no doubt about that. But if you stay in your tragedy, you're never ever going to do what God has called you to do. If you stay there in your tragedy, it's going to hold you back to keep you from being, becoming all that God wants you to be. But David didn't do that. Look what he does in verse 35. He said, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth when it turned on me. Think about what the lion might be thinking. I've just been backhanded by this 17-year-old punk, this 17-year-old shepherd boy. I'm not happy about it. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. Can you imagine that? This is a lion. I seized it by its hair. I struck it, and I killed it. So picture this, a 17-year-old shepherd boy looking around, confused, probably upset, probably definitely frightened. All of a sudden, he says, wait a minute. That lion ain't going to steal my sheep, and he goes after the lion. And the Bible says he backhands it, gets it by the scruff of the neck, and he kills it. Takes his sheep, and he goes home. I love this about David because he doesn't allow his tragedy to define him. Think about that for a minute. He does not allow that tragedy to define who he is. Yeah, something took his sheep. Uh, I'm sure he's saying, I'm not going to just sit here in this sheep pen for the rest of my life and ask God why. He says, I'm going after that lion. I'm going after that tragedy, and I'm going to overcome it. I don't have to be intimidated by it. I don't have to be worried by it. I don't even have to be identified by it because that tragedy is going to become my triumph. When you start thinking along those terms, your tragedies can be triumphs. Your losses can become victories, amen? Not in your own strength or ability, but David looked at his God and believed and trusted in what only God could do. doesn't end there. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, or Goliath, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. I love that. Because David is really giving God all the credit in front of Saul. And Saul says to David, go and the Lord will be with you. So what I get, my takeaway from this is actually God was not punishing David by sending the lion and the bear. He was actually preparing him. He was preparing him for a bigger task, for a bigger enemy. He was preparing him for the greatest enemy of that day, Goliath. So God was not punishing David. We might think he's punishing us when we go through hard times and when we have trials and tests, but he wasn't punishing David. He was getting David to believe for greater victories in his life because if he had never got out of that sheep pen, nothing would have happened. If we don't get out of our sheep pens in faith, nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to be accomplished, and we're never going to win the victory over what God has already given us the victory over. But we have to trust in Him. So when you go through tough times, we ought to stop and remember, wait a minute, God might be using this uh, tough time to prepare me for something bigger, something greater, for, for a greater victory, uh, and to advance the kingdom of God. So how do you begin to live in victory? I'll say you go from tragedy to triumph today. Don't put it off and say, I'll do it tomorrow, because you won't do it tomorrow. How about making a conscious decision today? I'm going to walk in victory in the strength of my God. Whatever you're facing, whatever challenge, whatever trial, whatever addiction, whatever problem, and say, I'm going to trust my God because my God is bigger than the problem I'm facing today. Maybe the hardships you're facing today are just preparing you for greater opportunities. What an awesome way to look at that. If you look at it the other way, you're going to get down, and you're going to get down, and you're going to get down. But when you look at it, as God could be doing something great with this. God, I'm going to trust you that you're going to be doing something bigger with this. Point number four. Another thing about suffering is that bad things don't mean that God's not good. You know, we all have this tendency that when we see something bad happen to a bad person, it doesn't bother us quite so much. In fact, some of us, if we would admit to it, kind of think, well, golly, they're finally getting what they deserve. Amen. Don't tell me. You haven't thought that. We've all thought that. But when good things happen to good people, we, thought, we think, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. He got that raise. He got that promotion because he deserved it. He was a hard worker. But what really eats at us is when bad things happen to good people. That bothers us. That's a tough one. That's a hard one to grasp a hold of. And if we're not careful, we'll let it put us into the thinking that, well, a good God wouldn't allow that to happen to good people. First of all, there's an error in that uh, little sentence I just said, good people. Because the truth is, when you break it down, none of us are good. None of us are really good, and I'll prove it by Scripture, Romans 3.10. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Not even one of us is righteous. We're all sinful people in need of a Savior. But I want you to catch this this morning. Something bad only happened to someone good one time. Did you catch that? Something bad only happened to someone good one time, and his name was Jesus, and he volunteered for that bad thing. And I'm just going to tell you today, one, something bad only happened to someone good one time, and he was the Son of God. And he was crucified for it. The Son of God. And Jesus stepped up and said, hey, I'll become the perfect sacrifice. I'll become the perfect sacrifice. He became sin for you and I, went to the cross, was brutally tortured. But if you remember, and I preached about this several weeks ago, Whenever he went through that and became sin for the world, God had to look away and God pulled away. And that's when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had questions why. 
But then he stepped up and finished the mission that God had called him to and said, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Do you realize we don't always get to know what God is up to? Do you, do you know that we don't know all the reasons why he allows bad things to happen? But we know what the reason isn't. And the reason it isn't isn't because he doesn't love us. Isn't because he doesn't uh, care for us. But you and I, when we get in a struggle, that's where our minds go. We get in a struggle, we think we're all by ourselves and God could care less. Where is God when I need him? He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's not a good God. But that couldn't be further than the truth. That's not the case at all because, because Jesus did die on the cross. Because Jesus did shed his blood on the cross. Takes that off the table. Because Jesus suffered a brutal death on the cross. Takes that off the, the uh, table completely. We know that Jesus was the Son of God. And just by being the Son of God, they killed him for it. They crucified him for it. Do you realize when they invented crucifixion, they didn't even have a word that would describe the kind of pain that crucifixion caused, so they invented one. Excruciating. Excruciating. That word comes from the pain that was suffered on the cross. And I'll just say the fact that Jesus suffered in that way for us is living proof that he loves us is proof that he cares for us, that he is a good God. Because if he wasn't, he wouldn't have even gotten involved. And I'll tell you, he wouldn't have gone all the way to the cross and endured what he endured. But think about it. Jesus, the truly only good and perfect person who ever lived, not only had something bad happen to him, he endured what the Bible calls actually the vilest evil and the worst suffering of all time. And when I say that, the next time you think about saying God's not fair, God is just not fair. Let me just step in and say, I agree with you 100%. He is not fair, but he is just. And it's a really good thing that he is not fair. Because if he was fair, we would get what our sins deserve. But the good news of the Word of God says that, that God doesn't treat us according to what we, our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, it says. And then it says, for as far as the east is from the west, so far has our God removed our transgressions from us. Aren't you glad he's not a fair God when you hear it that way? Aren't you glad because instead of giving us punishment and death, he gave us grace and mercy? He gave us grace and mercy. He gave us forgiveness. I am so glad that we serve the type of God that, that isn't fair. And you know what I'm saying? He is just. And he is faithful. And he is a loving God that loves us to his core. And God's got a deep core. Amen? But he loves you and I. He didn't give us what we deserved. Instead, he gave us grace. He gave us grace. So what came out of the worst wicked deed ever perpetrated in history? Just some little benefits like salvation, like eternal life, like forgiveness, like grace and mercy. And do you realize that the greatest good that we could ever experience in this life or the life to come would have not even been possible if the greatest evil had not been committed? That's the good God. Amen? John 3, 16, most of us have memorized that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's a huge promise right there. Amen? That is the, probably one of the biggest promises in the Bible. So what am I saying today? No matter what you're going through today or how bad your lives might be, how big your troubles might be, don't ever forget how much he loves you. Don't ever forget how much he cares about you. And any time you start to doubt that, you don't have to look any further than the cross. 
Look at the cross and remember what Jesus did for you and I. He was screaming as loud as he could with the display of, uh, I couldn't love you anymore. He gave us everything he had on the cross. We don't always know what the reasons are, but we know what they're not. It's not because he doesn't love us, and it's not because he doesn't care, and it's not because he's not a good God. Amen? He is a good God. Isaiah chapter 43, I love this, verse 1. Starts out, but now this is what the Lord says. Anytime you hear that, we ought to be paying attention because that's God speaking. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. That word fear not, I've said it over and over again and I've never actually counted it, but I've heard reputable men say this. There are 366 fear nots in the Bible. One for every day of the year. God knew we had needed a fear not every day of our year. And one for leap year. I'll just stretch it a little bit further. Fear not for I am with you, he says. Then he says, I have summoned you or I have called you by name. You are mine. Then he says, when you pass through the waters. Notice here he doesn't say if you pass through the waters. He says, when you pass through the waters. He says, I will be with you. He's saying, I'm not going to take you out of your tragedy, but I'm going to be there with you through it. I'm going to walk with you through it every step of the way. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You ought to personalize that this morning. I am the Holy One of Israel, your God and your Savior. Yes, God loves us on an equal playing field, on a level playing field, doesn't love anyone more than another. But we ought to take this to heart, that our God says He loves us. Our God allows things to happen because He loves us. So I would say in your time of need, in my time of need, that's the time when we need to run to God the fastest. Not run away from God the fastest, but run to God as fast as we can. And I hope through this whole thing you've realized that God can use our struggles and our suffering and our pain and still be a good God. He can use it to do greater things. He can... Do it to prepare us for greater victories in our lives. I don't know about you, but I want that this morning in my life. I want to have the mindset that says things may be falling apart over here. And I will say this, if you live long enough, you'll be able to look at a pile of victories back here that looked terrible when you were going through them. But you could see that God brought you through it. And God was faithful. I've got a lot of victories behind that I didn't deserve a one. But I've got a lot of victories behind because my God is good. My God is great. My God is Savior. My God is Redeemer. My God is Lord. Could you stand to your feet this morning? You know, I think this is a message that every one of us can relate to. Every one of us in this room, and I know some of you more than others because you've experienced great tragedies in your life. I know about some of them, and I don't know about a lot of them. But you've experienced some really hard, difficult times and heartbreak in your life. And maybe you've questioned God and you've asked God why. Maybe you've been angry with God. Let me just say He understands. He understands. But I pray, as you've listened to this message today, that you'll make a decision that I'm going to move from my tragedy to my triumph. I'm going to start seeing things in the bigger picture according to the power of my God that calls me His child that His promises belong to. And I'm praying that you'll see God that He's for you, not against you. You realize God's on your side. I don't care how ugly things are. Realize He's for you and not against you. 
And I believe he's just waiting for some of us to surrender that horrible thing over to him and stop letting that tragedy to define us so he can use it for something greater, something better, and something for his glory. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for every person in this room today. I thank you for your holy word. I thank you most of all for you and your faithfulness. I pray you would help us all to see suffering and the pain that we deal with on a daily basis through the lens and truth of your word. Father, I pray you'd give us a peace, and your word says a peace that passes understanding, to know that you're with us every step of the way. God, I pray you'd give us the courage and the faith to trust you no matter how bad the situation might be. Lord, help us to find the strength to rest in you, the confidence to trust in you, knowing that you'll use our struggles to do greater things, actually to do God things. And that, Father, you'll bring us through no matter what we're facing. I thank you today. And I want to take a moment with every head bowed, every eye closed. You've heard this message, and I know that there are, maybe there's 300 people in this room. We've got 300 struggles going on. So this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, think about what you're struggling with for a moment. And I want you, just as an indication of faith and trust in God, after what you've heard, the Bible says the word won't return void, but will accomplish what it was sent to do. God is sending a word out to you today for you to take a moment and just lift your hand with me and say, God, I need you in my struggle. Will you raise your hands this morning? Would anybody be bold enough to say, God, and he's recognizing that, he sees it. God, I need your strength in my life. God, I surrender this struggle over to you and trust it to you. I want you to just speak that in your heart, to release it over to him, to realize that this pain isn't by accident, this suffering isn't for nothing. But God can use it for a greater good and for His glory. Father, you see every hand raised in this place today. I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to meet us where we're at. I pray you draw our hearts closer to you and let us fall more deeply in love with you, more trusting in you. Let us be a people that love you because we want to love you. Not because we feel like we have to love you, but because we love you. We love you and we praise you and I give you the glory today and forever. If you agree with that, say amen with me. Amen. God is a good God. Go out and have a blessed day, and thank you for all your birthday wishes. God bless you all.